Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Unanswered questions linger over the collapse of crypto exchange FTX. Founder Sam Bankman-Fried was absent from an oversight hearing on Capitol Hill after his arrest. What lawmakers propose to prevent a future collapse in the crypto industry? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis hosts a panel of health and medical specialists to discuss the COVID-19 vaccine, what they say about the risks and benefits. President Biden signing a bill that grants federal protections to same-sex marriage, what it means and what some are saying about it. The Department of Energy announces a major breakthrough in scientific research. They say their recent findings could lead to an unlimited source of clean energy. Lawmakers today probed the collapse of FTX, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges. But founder Sam Bankman-Fried wasn't present to answer pressing questions after his arrest just yesterday. NTD's Melina Weiskopf followed that hearing today, and she joins us from the Capitol with more details. Well, lawmakers did express disappointment at the timing of Bankman-Fried's arrest, which happened just hours ahead of today's hearing. At the same time that this House hearing was going on today, federal prosecutors were charging Freed with a list of financial crimes, including wire fraud, money laundering, and much more. Some of these crimes even dating back to 2019. Prosecutors allege that Freed was intentionally deceiving customers to enrich himself and others including tens of millions of dollars in illegal campaign distributions to both Republicans and Democrats. Here's more on that. These contributions were disguised to look like they were coming from wealthy co-conspirators, when in fact, the contributions were funded by Alameda Research with stolen customer money. And all of this dirty money was used in service of Bankman-Fried's desire to buy bipartisan influence, and impact the direction of public policy in Washington. So it's reported that FTX contributed about $40 million to Democrats during the 2022 election. And Freed says that he has contributed the same amount to Republicans. And of that lost money, it's unclear how much of it will be able to be recovered. Today at that House hearing, FTX's new CEO told lawmakers that he's unsure how much they will be able to recover after this collapse. Uh, we're dealing with literally a sort of a a paperless bankruptcy in terms of how they created this company. It makes it very difficult to, uh, uh, to trace and track uh, assets. So this collapse has ultimately led lawmakers to push for regulation for cryptocurrency. Congressman Richie Torres is a strong supporter of the crypto industry, and he has unveiled a couple of bills to regulate it. Here's what he told us. No crypto exchange should be able to count its own tokens as assets. Um, second, there has to be regulations in place to ensure the segregation and protection of customer funds. Right? A crypto exchange should be prohibited from lending, leveraging, or commingling customer funds. Then you have other lawmakers who do believe in regulation, but say that they believe it will be difficult to enact these regulations. I mean, every, anyone can come up with their own coin. Anybody can come up with their own you know, theory there and start to you know, make money. So I, I'm not sure that we're not heading into a disaster here uh, to begin with. 
Prosecutors are now calling the collapse of FTX one of the biggest frauds in American history. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. If you watch our broadcast, you've probably heard of the Twitter files by now. However, most major networks seem to have avoided the topic, barely reporting on it. The founder of news clipping and transcribing service Grabian says he looked for the term Twitter files in the organization's database. Since December 2nd, ABC and CBS News allegedly haven't mentioned the term a single time. NBC used the term once and CNN 13 times. That's compared to almost 400 mentions by Fox News. Elon Musk has been promoting the release of the files in the past few days. They show how Twitter previously limited certain topics and people, such as former President Trump. And speaking of Twitter, two doctors whose accounts were suspended during the pandemic confirmed that they're now able to post again. Dr. Robert Malone is a contributor to mRNA vaccine technology, and Dr. Peter McCullough is a renowned cardiologist. Malone was suspended by Twitter at the end of 2021 after posts that criticized the effectiveness of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. McCullough was suspended from Twitter this October after repeatedly raising questions about the effectiveness and safety of COVID shots. About a month after Musk's takeover, Twitter said it would stop enforcing its COVID policy on misleading information. The policy reportedly resulted in the suspension of more than 11,000 accounts. And over in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis held a roundtable on COVID vaccine accountability today. The governor and a panel of scientists discussed problems with the mRNA vaccine and the government mandates that supported it. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. For the second time this year, a distinguished panel of medical and health specialists joined Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to discuss the risks and side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine on kids and young adults. But first, DeSantis recognized Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo. Dr. Ladapo was the first, uh, put, made Florida the first state uh, to recommend against giving the mRNA shots to these young kids. And that was something that, uh, that was uh, not considered popular to do in certain circles, but it was something that was following the actual data and the evidence uh, that we had. In a previous announcement, DeSantis cited several studies showing an increased risk of myocarditis in teens and young men after receiving the bivalent mRNA vaccines for COVID-19. We did a study in Florida where we looked at all-cause mortality and, uh, and cardiac mortality after the COVID-19 vaccines. There was a signal for a markedly increased risk of cardiac death in young men. One of the panelists said the benefits of the vaccine for children and young adults is minimal because there is very little risk of these age groups dying from the COVID-19 disease. On December 8, the FDA announced that it amended the emergency use authorization of approved COVID-19 vaccines to include children as young as six months of age. The FDA commissioner said since immunity from the vaccine declines, more people should keep up to date on it to prevent serious illnesses. Dr. Joseph Freeman questioned benefits of the vaccine from the beginning. From the day that these were authorized in December, there was uncertainty on if they were going, if the benefits were going to outweigh the harm. We didn't know. We did not know. He said scientists voted not to approve the vaccine, but the FDA and the CDC decided otherwise. 
Freeman and a team of scientists studied the data from Pfizer's first clinical trials for serious adverse events. He said adverse events include those who were hospitalized, permanently disabled, or dead. They found that adverse events increased by 37% in the vaccinated group compared to the placebo group. The CDC states on its website that adverse events are rare. It states that any health problem that happens after vaccination is considered an adverse event. The event can be caused by the vaccine or by a coincidental event unrelated to the vaccine. DeSantis intends to ask the state Supreme Court for a grand jury investigation of any and all wrongdoing with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. The lawsuit from Republican candidate Carrie Lake now has a schedule set. A judge overseeing the case ordered a virtual hearing this afternoon. Lake, Governor-elect Katie Hobbs, who's also Arizona's Secretary of State, and officials from the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors attended, along with their lawyers. The hearing was delayed because hundreds of members of the public were trying to join the virtual court. Lake later tweeted, saying it was the most popular meeting in America. Hobbs and the defendants are filing motions to dismiss with a Thursday deadline. Lake's response is due Saturday. Oral arguments are planned for next Monday, and the trial date is set for December 21st and December 22nd. The defendants say they're confident that the case will be dismissed without going to trial. They say a prolonged legal process would, quote, prevent the orderly transition of power that's set to take place on January 2nd. Lake's attorney argued that a lengthier trial would be necessary to present all the evidence. And the scientific community is now one step closer to creating an unlimited supply of clean energy. The Department of Energy announced the scientific breakthrough today, which was 60 years in the making. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Another big congratulations to Lawrence Livermore National Lab. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm also thanked the National Nuclear Security Administration, or NNSA, and everyone else who was involved in the scientific breakthrough. So what exactly did these scientists achieve? NNSA's Deputy Administrator of Defense Programs, Marv Adams, explains. There's a tiny cylinder here at the end of this that you probably can't see. It's about so tall and this wide. Inside that was a, a small spherical capsule about half the diameter of a BB. 192 laser beams entered from the two ends of the cylinder and struck the inner wall. They didn't strike the capsule, they struck the inner wall of this cylinder and deposited energy. And that happened in less time than it takes light to move 10 feet. So it's kind of fast. Adam said they've done this many times before, but this was the first time after 60 years of trying that the fusion fuel inside the capsule produced more energy than was put in. And this is called fusion ignition, which has the potential for making unlimited clean energy. I got, I got a call from uh, my boss um, saying, I think we got ignition. And I, uh, I burst into tears. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson explained on Fox News what this could mean. So now it's up to the engineers. Okay. Once we get the physics figured out, which it seems like we have, then the engineers say, can I make that smaller? Can I make it portable? There are places that don't have access to energy, yeah. either oil or even sunlight, for example, and so or, or tidal or, any, or hydro. So 
uh, this would be transformative to civilization. But the director of the Lawrence Livermore National Lab, Kim Budell, said researchers are still decades away from using fusion reactors as a main source of power. Jason Perry, NTD News. Today, the House Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Subcommittee held its seventh and final hearing on anti-democratic extremist groups. The final topic for discussion was the ongoing threat of white supremacist ideologies to American democracy. The committee chairman, Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, who is also a member of the January 6th committee, said white supremacy and anti-democratic extremism constitute the most serious domestic terror threat facing the country. All members of the committee speaking today were in agreement in saying that extremist activities were a serious issue in the U.S., but they disagreed on what ideologies motivated the perpetrators. Raskin and other Democratic committee members attributed domestic terrorism to far right-wing ideologies. And Republican members said there's an issue with violent crimes, but that it's across the political spectrum. A panel of witnesses presented statements on extremist activities affecting various sectors of society. Topics included religious freedom, the LGBT community, and the threat of paramilitary organizations. At the conclusion of the meeting, Raskin gave members five legislative days to submit written questions to the panel for additional explanation. And President Biden signs into law a bill to protect same-sex marriage. But some Republicans say the legislation could have consequences for those with religious beliefs. NTD's Iris Tao has more. And thank you. Thousands gather on the South Lawn as President Biden signs into law the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, the legislation granting federal protections to same-sex marriage. And now, the law requires that interracial marriage and same-sex marriage must be recognized as legal in every state in the nation. The bill would also repeal the definition of marriage as being between a man and a woman and replace it with language inclusive of gay marriage passed in both chambers last week with 12 Republican senators and 39 GOP House members joining all Democrats to give it a green light. While Biden hailed it today, that hasn't always been his position. As a senator, Biden opposed federal protections for same-sex marriage and for years he insisted marriage is between a man and a woman and states must respect that. But things changed when he was the vice president. In 2012, Biden said he supported same-sex marriage, marking his first open reversal of his position. And you're comfortable with same-sex marriage now? I, I Look, I am vice president of the United States of America. Um, the president sets the policy. I am absolutely comfortable. And today, Wall Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer thanked the Republicans who voted with Democrats to pass the bill. That's not the consensus of all Republicans in Congress. I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Coming up, the U.S. intelligence community forecasts a dramatic surge in crossings at the southern border as Title 42 is lifted next week. We hear from national security expert Todd Benzman. At the World Cup today, a spot in the finals was on the line as Argentina and superstar Lionel Messi 
who's looking for that elusive title, took on Croatia. Stay tuned for more after this short break. Now, a follow-up on a story we reported on yesterday. It was about a former Navy SEAL, Chris Beck, who recently detransitioned to identify as a man again. We reached out to Ann Speckard for comment. She's an associate professor of psychiatry, and she helped Beck write the book Warrior Princess. Beck recently alleged that Speckard prescribed him cross-sex hormones after his first one-hour visit with her. Now we've heard back from Speckard, and she says she never treated Beck, and that Beck looks to her like a confused person with a poor memory. She says that she met Beck at a conference and that he later asked her to help him write the book. And now we turn to the southern border, where the U.S. intelligence community is reportedly expecting a surge in land crossings at that border at a magnitude not seen before. In about a week, the pandemic policy Title 42, which had allowed authorities to expel migrants crossing over the border, will end. And according to senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, Todd Benzman, who's got a book coming out about the border, this could lead to catastrophic outcomes. I spoke with Benzman earlier today. Todd Benzman, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to be here. Good, good afternoon. A migrant caravan of more than a thousand immigrants crossed the southern border on Sunday night, the largest caravan so far, and we're expecting more in about a week. Could you update us on the numbers here? Sure. Well, the number that came over into El Paso was actually about 2,500, but it was unusual in that that high a number had never crossed all at once before in that area. Uh, but I think that that's a, a harbinger of more of what we're going to be seeing in the very near future as we dismantle Title 42. Once that is finally gone, the intelligence community is telling us that we could go from where we are now, which is about seven to 9,000 every single day, to 12,000 and as high as 18,000 in a day. Now, you're forecasting a potentially permanent transformative impact on the U.S. with the end of Title 42. How do you see this changing daily life for Americans? Well, when you have a sudden influx of millions of new people who can't speak English and are largely low-skilled, low-educated uh, workers and laborers and people in uh, need, really, uh, you're, you can't help but, you know, have to shoulder a burden uh, when it comes to school systems, for example, would be the first place, because most, most of the people coming over are families, and there are unbelievably high numbers of unaccompanied minors crossing as well, who all will have to go into the school systems under uh, Supreme Court rulings. That's going to be bond elections, tax rates, uh, going up. And then beyond that, you're going to have a criminal activity that you did not have before, DUI and uh, document fraud and uh, assault and burglary and everything else. Uh, and then on top of that, 
you know, it's going to flood our labor markets at a time when the country is um, struggling with recessionary pressures and inflationary pressures uh, on the job market, especially in the service sectors. And that's going to impact black Americans and low income Americans who already you know, need those jobs, but are going to be undercut by this vast new labor pool. So pretty much every sector of the United States, of, of the social fabric of the country, uh, our, our public welfare systems, our safety nets, are going to go to illegal immigrants. They already are. It's already happening. Proponents of an open border policy say it's humane, but we know that cartels are involved and there's plenty of stories of rape and death in this journey, as well as increased inflow of deadly drugs to the U.S. What do you think is the most humane solution here? Well, the fact is that when you allow people to come in and succeed in entering and staying in the country, then you are going to entice hundreds of thousands of people and millions of people to take advantage of that. The United Nations issued a report just this past summer saying that the U.S.-Mexico border is the most dangerous border in the world. And I agree with that, just from what I've seen and, and heard from the immigrants. Uh, but when you entice people to come like that and make it possible for them to come, they're going to die. When you create deterrence, when you block, deport, when you make it so that they're not going to be able to get in, they're going to stay home. And when they're staying home, they're going to be alive. They're going to live. Now, DHS is reportedly asking Congress for $3 billion in extra funds to deal with the expected surge in illegal immigration. What's your take on that? Nobody has ever done that before, where the policy is to spend money so that we can process everybody in quickly, humanely, orderly, as they put it. Uh, that is something that not even mainstream Democratic Party coalition people would ever have brooked in the past. Uh, Barack Obama, you know, famously was called the deporter in chief. Uh, he was pretty tough on that border. When there was a surge, he acted swiftly to end that surge. Uh, President Bill Clinton was notoriously tough on the border, passed brand new laws. Uh, criminalized illegal entry, uh, did a lot of um, policy work to prevent asylum fraud. But this is the first time we've ever seen a president actually plan to import as many people as possible and to not stop and block. Lastly, House Republicans have asked the DHS to explain how it will protect thousands of domestic flights this holiday travel season after pulling nearly all air marshals down to the southern border to deal with the crisis. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the fact is that the administration does not have the resources to deal with what the intelligence community is telling us could be as many as 18,000 a day. That's six million a year coming across. And so. They are begging, borrowing, and stealing personnel from every federal agents, agency on the books right now to surge them down to the border and help uh, process 
those people in. And that takes administrative work and you have to have a lot of people, a lot of hands on deck for that. I don't think it's a great idea to have the marshals do that. First of all, there aren't very many of them. Uh, and second of all, sure enough, wouldn't that be the one time when something happened that they were absolutely needed uh, to save uh, lives on a flight? Thank you. Todd Benzman, author and senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Sad news in college football as Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach passed away Monday night. The 61-year-old who was in his third season at the school fell ill Sunday at his home before being treated at a local hospital. He was then airlifted to the University of Mississippi Medical Center where he passed away from what's being called complications from a heart condition. The family released a statement saying, quote, we are supported and uplifted by the outpouring of love and prayers from family, friends, Mississippi State University, the hospital staff, and football fans around the world. Thank you for sharing in the joy of our beloved husband and father's life. Leach was a head coach for 21 seasons at the FBS level with previous stops at Texas Tech and Washington State before coming to Mississippi State. He was particularly known for his record-setting air raid offenses that gave opposing defensive coordinators constant headaches. Leach is survived by his wife and four kids in addition to three grandchildren. And in the NBA, the league has announced six new trophy awards, with the biggest being the Michael Jordan Trophy, which will be awarded to the league's MVP. Jordan was named MVP five times in his career, second only to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's six. Now the Jordan Trophy is full of symbolism, with the most prominent being the weight of 23.6 pounds and the height of 23.6 inches to salute Jordan's number 23 jersey and his six NBA titles. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has a five-game slate prepared featuring the oldest rivalry in the league as the Lakers host the Celtics. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has 12 games scheduled for this evening, including the Edmonton Oilers and leading scorer Connor McDavid playing at the Nashville Predators. And that's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And a World Cup update for you. Argentina topped Croatia 3-0 this afternoon to advance to the finals. Lionel Messi scored the game's first goal on a penalty kick in the 34th minute, and Argentina never looked back. They'll play the winner of tomorrow's France-Morocco match. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.